everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. For today's show, I am happy to welcome back Iona May Italia, also known as the Terpsichoral Tango Addict. She has traveled the globe dancing and teaching tango and has documented her observations and thoughts in her very popular blog. I had the opportunity to speak with Iona back in episode 40, and it was a lot of fun. On that show, if you remember, she mentioned that she was working on a book. Well, that book is now complete and has been released. It is called Our Tango World, Volume 1, Learning and Community. And with me now is Iona May Italia. Iona, welcome back to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you again. The pleasure is all mine, Joe. Yeah. All right. Right now you are in Buenos Aires. The last time we spoke, you were in India. Quite the world traveler. <laughs> so your book, Our Tangle World, Volume 1, Learning and Community, has been released. Congratulations. And without giving too much away, could you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So this project has been really a long time in the coming. Mm -hmm. I've been writing about tango since 2011, mm -hmm. January 2011, I began. And I began with my blog, which was called Tango Addiction. Mm -hmm. And it began as really a diary of my Malonga visits, but it very quickly developed into something much more elaborate. Mm -hmm. And I started writing very long, impressionistic, poetic entries about experiences that, that I'd had at the Malonga. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years into writing the blog, I decided to transfer it directly to Facebook. So I was using Facebook just as a kind of RSS feed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if RSS feeds even still exist. Right. That's probably ancient technology now. <laughs> You know, in my day, we used a stylus <laughs> right, yeah. and we, we, we chiseled things into rock. <laughs> but I began by just posting links on Facebook. And then I found that people are very reluctant to click on links. Mm -hmm. They prefer to just read straight away. So I started just writing these long essays straight into the Facebook status mm -hmm. box. Yeah. And I began branching out in the kinds of things that I wrote. So at the beginning, I was writing poetic prose that was mostly accounts of experiences at the Malonga mm -hmm. and experiences dancing. And then I began to write more opinion and commentary. Right. I had wanted to put this together for into a book for quite a long time, but mm -hmm. I am I'm very poor at knowing how to make those kinds of things happen practically. Mm -hmm. I had no experience with self-publishing mm -hmm. and I just couldn't work out how to make it happen. A few years ago, a friend of mine and I tried to investigate. It got so complicated that we gave up. Ah. It looked as though it was going to cost us more to publish the book than, than I would actually get as I wouldn't even, you know, get my investment back in right. sales yeah. because it was so expensive to self-publish yeah. and um, I couldn't afford to invest that. So I gave up on that. And then it was about a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. I guess, no, a little over a year ago. It was Thanksgiving of last year mm -hmm. that Michael Vocker said that he was interested in publishing it. Nice. I think a little before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And at Thanksgiving, I gave in the manuscript, mm -hmm. and it has taken until now to appear. Nice. Uh, these things always take longer than you think they 
they yeah. will. And especially, you know, Michael has his own work. This is mm -hmm. a side gig for him. Mm -hmm. So now I have a lot of writing mm -hmm. and the writing that is in the book is still a very carefully curated, abridged mm -hmm. selection of things that I have taken from earlier writings and a few things I've written anew and things that I have rewritten. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to clean up and tighten up the prose. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about, it's, I would say it's probably, if all three volumes of the book come out, it's mm -hmm. still only about maybe 5% at most of the amount of words that I have produced. Wow. I have really written a lot right, about right. Tango. Yeah, because you've produced a lot of content. So yeah, it yes. seems logical that you would have books coming out. So just with just kind of a technical question about mm -hmm. you writing the, the manuscript, where did you even begin just sifting through all of your content? Well, I put it into three sections. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Michael and I decided to slightly rejig the sections, okay. in fact. Mm -hmm. So now... And now I no longer remember what the original three sections were. <laughs> mm -hmm. But now the sections are the first section is mm -hmm. teaching and community. Mm -hmm. And the second section is going to be, a, well, it's about learning and community. Mm -hmm. The second section is going to have things about teaching mm -hmm. and also about dancing at the Malonga and the experience of the Malonga, the codes of the Malonga. Mm -hmm. And it will go into more depth about things like partner choice about the atmosphere in Buenos Aires mm -hmm. and then I hope that we will also put together a third volume mm -hmm. or if not an independent book which will be the tango themed fictions and short stories mm -hmm. and a few also I would call them I guess poetically told anecdotes so okay. they are non-fiction accounts of tango experiences I've had but they're told like little stories oh. like little vignettes okay nice so this one doesn't doesn't have those kinds of vignettes in it. This mm -hmm. is more the essayistic writing. Okay. I hope that it will. I mean, what what I'm sorry, I'm I'm going on at great length. So please uh, just tell <laughs> yeah, me. I think yeah, I've answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> that's that's great. I mean, obviously, the the target audience is for tango fans. But would this book be especially helpful for beginners or people who are intermediates? I don't think you have to have any experience. Okay. And a few non-Tango people have bought it. Nice. I feel slightly guilty about that, actually, I have to say. <laughs> I'm a little concerned about what they're going to think, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, how much they will get out of it. But mm -hmm. I, um, are people who uh, follow my other writings, I'm also now working as a journalist quite frequently. Oh, nice. So people who... Uh, follow my political writing have also some of those people have bought the book or ordered the book okay i don't know what they're going to make of it <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, when, what, what are you hoping I mean, for people to to get out of the books so i'm i'm not interested in writing an instructional manual about mm -hmm. how to dance okay i would say there's a little bit more practical stuff in the second volume where i talk about uh, teaching so i do share some specific ideas mm -hmm. for classes and also i give some instructions on how to behave at the longer uh, for example how to do mirada cabaseo efficiently and things like that okay. more in the second volume where i deal with the malonga culture but i'm certainly not interested in you can't learn to dance from the book mm -hmm. and i think that i'm not interested in providing a sort of instructional manual of any kind uh -huh. 
what I'm interested in is, I guess, the lessons that we can draw from tango about human psychology, about relationships and interactions, mm -hmm. about art and creativity, mm -hmm. about sensuality, sexuality. Right. I mean, I have a very metaphorical style of writing. Yeah. And I am interested in the, those kinds of overlaps. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Yeah, so while you were writing the book, oh, did you come across any sort of epiphanies that you hadn't considered before? Not so much during the writing, mm -hmm. but of course, my kind of relationship with tango is always shifting and changing. Mm -hmm. And that has really, uh, being in India, made a big difference to how I felt about the tango, the tango scene and how tango works. Mm -hmm. I think, but not so much from the book, I think, mm -hmm. more from life, life experiences. Mm -hmm. Would you like me to try and uh, read a, a short piece sure. from the book to sure, try and show you what I mean by that kind of more philosophical approach? Okay. Ah, here's one which I think is quite, quite brief and might give you an idea of the kind of philosophical ruminating that I like to do. And just as a footnote to people who, who don't know, and this is in the glossary, mm -hmm. I alluded to dance partners of mine, uh, one who I call the slow Semite. His name is Aaron Zvi Viner. So he was my longtime practice partner here. And I've dedicated this first volume to him. And Pretty Saloni Boy, who is another uh, dance partner of mine, who I'll keep pseudonymous. <laughs> and this is called Being Heard. Mm -hmm. Every regular partner changes you. You cannot dance well with someone without allowing your own movement to be modified. Those changes can be enriching. I'm especially grateful for my two practice partners, for the slow Semite, who has taught me to respect tradition, to love the beautifully constructed salon figures which are part of a legacy of embodied history, for teaching me to luxuriate in dense slowness, for pretty Saloni boy, who has faith in my dancing and makes me believe that I too can be a tango princess, that all it would take is a few small physical adjustments, another few degrees of dissociation here, a head tilted slightly more upwards there, and the glass slipper will fit, and my pumpkin pie will be a coach once more. I've always felt the need for a confidant. Often if I'm alone, I find myself framing my experiences in words and imagine telling them to someone, a dear friend, a lover, or a crush. Sometimes I walk down the street muttering like a batty old woman. But everything feels more real to me once it's been spoken or written, once it's been heard. If I have no real-life audience, I invent one. And in tango, I feel constantly heard. I can only really love this music and enjoy this moment, this movement, if you, my dear partner, are with me. I can only say this thing I'm dying to say. I only want to say it. I only need to say it if you're there listening and acknowledging it. This is at the heart of the dance for me. Not the physical touching or the beauty of the hug, not even the music. The music gains its significance from the fact that I can share how I feel about it. When you are really dancing, you are not alone. You have a witness, and that makes every gesture meaningful. Nice, nice. Ayana. So will there be an audiobook as well? 
I would love to do an audiobook. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what the um <laughs> what what the kind of implications of that are, but I'd be more than happy to record it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. Good, good. Yeah, so what what are, for you personally, what are some of the more challenging things about about writing? You know, um I don't find writing challenging at all. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm I am a very uh spontaneous writer. Mm. So I find writing hard only in, um, I don't find it hard at all when I'm writing about something that, a topic that I have chosen, mm-hmm. when I'm writing in a kind of more for leisure mm-hmm. uh, in this way, then, and it's something that I feel passionate about, it just arises naturally. I'm feeling strongly about something mm-hmm. or I'm reflecting back on, on an experience that I had Mm-hmm. So writing is not, it's a mistake to think that even though I talked about here about co- constant communication and witness, mm-hmm. it's, it would be a mistake to think that at the moment of dancing, I'm also thinking about how I'm going to phrase and describe it. Mm-hmm. The writing comes from memory. Wordsworth said it was emotion recollected in tranquility. Mm-hmm. It's afterwards, it's afterwards when you're savoring the experience that you think, I want to write about this to capture it and in that kind of situation i find it really easy to write Mm -hmm. i find it hard to write when for example i have to write on command on a topic that i have no interest in Mm -hmm. so for a little while i worked as a copy editor Mm -hmm. it was incredibly badly paid Mm. um in fact, I gave up because I couldn't see how working eight hours a day, you could make your rent doing it. It was just one of the worst paid gigs ever. Okay. But also, um, you have half an hour and you have to write two pages on, for example, mm-hmm. why people's boilers might break down in winter. <laughs> or mm-hmm. I was actually allocated dentistry and I had to write a lot of pieces on root canals, mm-hmm. on how to floss, and things like that. <laughs> wow. And I found that just absolutely excruciating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and I did. I do also sometimes find it difficult. Um, recently, I was commissioned to write a piece on the Me Too phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And I've published that piece in a print journal. There's no online version, so I can't link people to it. But So I, I wrote a long piece on Me Too, and that was very difficult because I hadn't... I hadn't chosen or been thinking about that subject mm-hmm. and I had a quite tight deadline within which to yeah. research and put together some ideas, but I felt fairly happy with it once it was done. Mm-hmm. So in those situations, writing to order mm-hmm. on something that I am not specifically interested in or don't feel so qualified to write about or have already feel like I've already completely covered. Mm-hmm. But especially in the first case, if it's something I'm not really interested in mm-hmm. and I have to go and write a piece to order, I find that very tough. Yeah. But if it's a topic that I am interested in, then I don't really, even in my political writing, I don't really draft or plan or anything else. Probably mm-hmm. I should, but I just sit down and like rant um <laughs> yeah. yeah so in in your book the subject of learning and community now that's a, that's a huge huge subject and i remember uh one really delightful anecdote that you had in our last conversation 
uh, you mentioned that you were just writing about a particular community. I mean, just your know, qualities, just, just making a commentary about what goes on in communities. You weren't really outing anybody. You weren't naming a specific community. And lo and behold, several people wrote to you and said, oh, you're talking about us, weren't you? And that was completely unintentional on your part. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, you were not, I mean, you, you had an opinion and you were not trying to, you know, rub anybody the wrong way, but you just had an opinion, you put it out there. And then a lot of people had this really strong, strong reaction. So are there any parts of your book that you may feel may also elicit a, uh, a strong reaction, either positive or negative? Yes. In fact, I can, I can actually read you that part because it's in here, okay. I think. So this piece was very controversial. I mean, it's partly my fault because I timed it really badly. <laughs> I published it on the Facebook mm -hmm. when I was actually at a very small community, a small, more kind of low-key community. Mm -hmm. And so the person running that community felt that I was writing about them, uh, which was, you know, not my intention at all. In fact, I, this piece had been knocking around in my head for a while. Mm -hmm. And... I did have kind of a specific place in mind, and I think that the organizer could sort of feel that, mm -hmm. but it wasn't where I currently was at that moment that I was specifically thinking of, but it was more of a, an amalgam, really. Mm -hmm. And yes, a number of people wrote to say uh, that I had described their community, and they didn't mean that metaphorically. They meant mm -hmm. literally. Wow. I didn't know you had been to... <laughs> um, and uh, sometimes uh, quite... A, a few of them quite angrily, they mm. felt I had attacked mm. their community. Uh, mm. uh, in one case, a place I had never been, actually. Mm -hmm. And and a few of them said, thank God, somebody has finally said how bad this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. mm -hmm. But it is fictional. It's kind of an amalgam. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, that it's interesting. I feel I would be less... Mm -hmm. inclined to write quite such harsh and pointed satire now because mm -hmm. my attitudes have really changed a little bit following India, which we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad that I wrote it in such pointed terms at that moment. I yeah. think it's definitely, nevertheless, is a valid way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. Cynical, <laughs> cynically valid. <laughs> yeah. So this piece is called The Land of the Long-Term Beginner. Uh -huh. And I'll read it. All right. There are two kinds of tango scenes. The first I'll call the tango lover's country, where people go because they love tango specifically, because they want to hear that music and find bliss on the dance floor. That is my natural habitat. But there is another kind of scene, which I'll call the land of the long-term beginner. Here's a brief travel guide to help you identify it. If most people have been dancing for at least five years and a significant proportion for 10 or 20, but rather than their dancing improving in that time, you have noticed a steady, relentless deterioration. If there is a consistent inverse relationship between how long people have been dancing locally and how well they dance, you probably live in the land of the long-term beginner. If you are often struck by how many different ways the human body has of moving anti-clockwise around a dance floor, scurrying, bouncing, hobbling, staggering, lurching, shuffling, trudging, prancing, the dancing reminds you of a sample of pond water under a microscope, 
swarming with a kaleidoscope of creatures, moving in random directions with a rich variety of means of locomotion. If you often reflect on how much more unnatural tango movement seems than normal movement, if you are struck by the way in which a person who moves with perfect ease in everyday life can be transformed into a shuffle-footed geriatric in need of a Zimmer frame out on the dance floor, you probably live in the land of the long-term beginner. If most people you dance with either grasp your arms and hold you firmly far away from them as though you had a contagious disease, or alternatively, squeeze you with a grip that would put Xenia on a top to shame. <laughs> if your doctor, chiropractor, or Alexander Technique instructor has begged you to give up tango for the sake of your health, you probably live in the land of the long-term beginner. If it's considered rude or snobby to be choosy about who you dance with, if men react with surprise or disgruntlement at a polite, no thanks. If you will be socially ostracized if you decline too many dances. If even that guy, the one who smells of fag ash, McEwen's export and a football player's laundry basket, and who almost dislocates your cervical vertebrae with his embrace. If even he gets plenty of dances, you probably live in the land of the long-term beginner. If people care little about the music, if they get up and dance with the same timing and steps, whether the DJ plays the fastest Darienzos or the serenest Canaros, if they mistake the DJ's Cortina, Nature Sounds for Meditation, Track 2, Birdsong and Early Morning Rain for a tango, and stride valiantly through it with the aid of those inner metronomes that never fail them, you are probably in the land of the long-term beginner. If many of the older men enjoy dancing with beginner women and like to give them helpful pointers about their dance, if being out on the floor with some of those guys feels like being in the arms of a Svengali who gives a running commentary faster than McEnroe's during an exciting Wimbledon rally, that's it, put your foot there, now do a back ocho, pivot there, now change weight, <laughs> you probably live in the land of the long-term beginner. If you frequently hear the following comments, Tango's just a good laugh, isn't it? I like this place because it's really friendly and sometimes Maureen brings her famous flapjacks. I don't understand why people get so stuck up about it. The only way you'll get better is by getting out on the dance floor and getting better dancers to dance with you. If you have the right attitude, you can enjoy dancing with absolutely anyone. We're all just here to have a bit of fun, aren't we? I will dance with anyone. I'm just happy to dance. Why won't she dance with us? Does she think she's too good for us? What a snob. His dancing is awful, but it's hard to say no to him, isn't it? It might hurt his feelings. Well then, you probably live in the land of the long-term beginner. There is nothing wrong with the land of the long-term beginner. But it's not my country. I am a foreigner there. And whenever I visit, I cannot conquer my culture shock or recover from my jet lag. If this is your native land, I wish you join it but it's not for me. So that was a, one of my most controversial oh, pieces. Wow. Yeah, well, that definitely get a reaction. But I think at the same time, a lot of people can identify with it. I, I think I remember that entry on, on Facebook and they had a lot of, lot of lively comments, shall we say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, great, great. So yeah, you were talking a little bit about India and how that sort of shaped your thinking. It's It shifted my thinking a little bit. So returning to Buenos Aires has been has been quite emotionally rough for me. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that I 
realized when I was in India was how much I sacrificed my kind of personal emotional life for the sake of the dance, mm. the quality of the dance, mm -hmm. not consistently over the whole of my time in here in Buenos Aires. And, you know, certainly in the last over the last few years, so the year or two before I went to India, this was much less the case. Mm -hmm. And I was spending a lot of my time with my dance partner, Aaron, who is absolutely wonderful, mm -hmm. a really, truly lovely person. Mm -hmm. But I have, um, looking at my time in Buenos Aires as a whole, so looking at the entire sort of 12 years since I first arrived here in 2006, I really spent uh, a lot of time with people who are either just very difficult people to handle, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people with artistic temperaments, shall we say, who <laughs> needed to be treated with kid gloves. Okay. People, you know, very moody, <laughs> volatile people, also very unreliable people, you know, who would mm -hmm. be constantly late themselves, but if you were late, they would fly off the handle. You know, you know yes, the kind of um, thing, yeah. not to name any names. And mm -hmm. of course, I'm also glad I did that because I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I made some good choices of teachers and dance partners in terms of my learning. Mm -hmm. But some, not all, I can definitely think of some honorable exceptions. But in many cases, I was really willing to put up with a lot of very bad behavior mm -hmm. because I wanted to learn or practice or get dances with mm -hmm. uh, someone who was a very good teacher or partner or or practice partner or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So really, I had a lot of shallow relationships, at, I mean, on a human level. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, you know, I certainly had a few dance partners who behaved in ways that I would never have put up with if a boyfriend had behaved that way. Uh, I see. You know, but because I really wanted to dance with them, mm -hmm. I prioritized that. And I felt, you know, because in India, uh, at least in Pune, so we talked about this a little bit last time, I decided not to dance in Bombay because the scene there is very difficult in human terms okay. to negotiate. I mean, there are some great people there. So don't let that, don't let me put you off encountering the Bombay scene. You should find out for yourself what it's mm -hmm. like. But, but I found it, for me, too tricky to negotiate. Mm -hmm. And I went to dance in Pune and in Pune just the human quality of people in the tango scene i cannot overstate this mm -hmm. how much love and admiration i had for mm -hmm. the people in pune as people mm -hmm. and i know that this is the kind of thing that tango teachers and dancers say all the time it's part of their kind of publicity materials to mm -hmm. say oh i loved everybody everyone was so wonderful you know everyone is wonderful when they're mm -hmm. paying you greenbacks you right. know <laughs> but i am not the kind of person who does that mm -hmm. as i think you might have noticed yes. i'm not able to be that person so this is not marketing <laughs> it's not right, because right. i want something from them or mm -hmm. you know just Genuinely, this is an extraordinary group of people, uh, very mature, intelligent, kind, and warm people. So I had such a feeling of warm human mm -hmm. interaction there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've arrived back here, mm -hmm. and it's really... Um, so one thing that's happened whilst I've been away is the scene has really shifted a lot. Mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's shifted quite dramatically. I haven't explored it very fully yet, mm -hmm. so... 
I'm not really yet able to say, to give an assessment. Okay. And one of the projects I'd like to do when I'm here is I did have a guide to Buenos Aires that I was selling, a little guidebook. Mm -hmm. And I've stopped selling that because it's too out of date. I can no longer really justify mm -hmm. sending people this guide since I've been away for, you know, nearly two years. But I want to create a new guide. So my one of my projects is I want to go to all the major milongas at least a few times each mm -hmm. to experience them for myself and also because I want to write a new guide for people. Mm. But I already feel there's been quite a big shift. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's partly because of the financial crisis here. Uh. But I would say that the shift is positive in, in many senses because mm -hmm. the main thing I'm noticing is the average age has gone down. I see. So there's really a lot of young people dancing. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so that means tango is really very vibrant. Mm -hmm. But the young scene is also moving towards a more kind of a very informal feeling okay which mm -hmm. in some ways is good so mm -hmm. for example a same-sex dancing is going to be more accepted and that's mm -hmm. great it alters the atmosphere towards something that is more social oriented and less dance oriented mm -hmm. so there's less of a sense that you can just show up at the longer mm -hmm. look around and then it's always a little hard to break in at first but once you've had your first dances and people have seen you out on the floor you will get more dances mm -hmm. and more of a sense of to dance with people, you have to first know them as friends. Oh, okay. Which is quite a lot more work. Of course, mm. it's nice work if you enjoy mm -hmm. partying, hanging out with people. Yeah. And I am, I'm not, I do not have a party personality. Mm -hmm. I am a pooper of parties, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I enjoy like, dinner parties and talking to people one-on-one -on -one, sure, and I like sure. dancing and doing kind of activities mm -hmm. but the sort of holder as they call it here just like pissing around yes yeah I, I am familiar with the term <laughs> in a kind of drunken or stoned state or whatever right. I am really kind of a pooper of that okay. <laughs> um, and it's also more of this kind of superficial thing which is something that I was feeling in India that I'm not craving mm -hmm. you know this sense of trying to become friends with people in the hopes of getting dances with them mm -hmm. that atmosphere makes it much harder to mm -hmm. get dances mm -hmm. Argentines are very sociable so if you're a very sociable kind of person with an extroverted sunny disposition mm -hmm. and especially if you're young and attractive then you can go to the parties and you'll also break into the dance scene that way and you'll have a great time mm -hmm. if you're that kind of person you will have a fantastic time mm -hmm. but since i'm not that kind of person i haven't quite worked out yet which are now going to be the milongas i enjoy mm -hmm. um, i think there will be i mean there is still a wide range of stuff out here mm -hmm. But the malongas that I used to go to and enjoy are now the now have this kind of young people thing, social okay. thing going on. Mm -hmm. And not the old thing where you just looked around and got dances. Mm -hmm. And in the old system, I danced a lot, mm -hmm. um, you know, very frequently not sitting out any tenders. And in this new world, it's very very tough mm -hmm. i'm struggling to dance like three tandas over the course of the whole wow. evening okay so massive, um, massive shifts there to uh yeah it's a little yeah. bit of a shock to the system mm -hmm. of course the people who are less into the casual social thing mm -hmm. may have gone elsewhere 
It may be just that things have shifted around and there may well be good dancers among those people. So I, I've yet to do a thorough exploration mm -hmm. and I plan to do a thorough exploration <laughs> in the new year and write a little, another little guidebook for people. Yeah. It's not that I have any less desire to dance or that mm -hmm. I have any less kind of pleasure and bliss and enjoyment in the dance, mm -hmm. but I also do feel like there is something quite empty and shallow Mm -hmm. Not saying the people are empty and shallow, but yeah. the kind of thing itself. Mm -hmm. There's a certain emptiness and shallowness to simply always searching for this hedonic pleasure. Right. If the mm -hmm. only thing you're doing is looking for more and more and more of this pleasure. Mm -hmm. and you know, there's this kind of thing of the hedonic treadmill. Right. You must be familiar with this idea. Mm -hmm. I I believe that sort of chosen activities, and of which this is definitely one, mm -hmm. are more resistant to the hedonic treadmill than others, than yeah. other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So, but but still, there is this kind of feeling of a little bit of a. I have this just slight sense of mm -hmm. lack of lack of meaning, potential lack of meaning, and and you know, of course, I'm very interested in where. Mm -hmm. The dance overlaps with more profound meanings, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Iona, where where do we find your book? Yes, yeah, sure. So, um, if you could put this in the show notes as well, that Absolutely. would be great. But, yes. So, U.S. readers should order it from Amazon.com. Mm -hmm. So, it's called Our Tango World. Yep. Volume one, but of course, volumes two and three have not appeared yet. Mm -hmm. um, but please do, uh, if you don't buy volume one, the other volumes may not appear. Oh. So we need mm -hmm. to sell volume one. And everybody else can order it from, should order it from Michael Avoca. Okay. So you should either contact Michael himself or go to Michael's website, which is Malonga Press. Malonga Press. Great. And there's a link where you can order it there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And also for the U.S. listeners, if you read the book, please leave a good review and a good rating that also helps the search engine rankings and the Amazon rankings. So. Oh, yes, please. And also, I, I, um, there is going to be an ebook. So the ebook will come out in three months. Great. Michael said, and I would love to do an audiobook. So if people want an audiobook, they should tell me Yeah. because I would be more than happy to record mm -hmm. record it if people can deal with listening to my voice <laughs> for however many hours it is mm -hmm. and also if you enjoyed the book please um, drop me a line and I have a kind of fetish for photos of readers holding my book that makes <laughs> me feel very happy and I have really been dancing living in Buenos Aires thinking about tango taking learning tango teaching tango all, uh, you know, many, many places in the world for a long time now. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of my distilled, my distilled wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, Iona, thank you so much for, for taking the time and giving us all of your thoughts on, on this and telling us about the book. That's, and congratulations again. That is, that is a, not a small task to, to complete a book. And I think that, uh, It'll be fun. So do please pick up a copy and get those good reviews out and send Iona your pictures of you with the book. 
Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. And have a safe trip out there and try to stay dry from all that rain. Oh, I'm not going anywhere tonight. <laughs> <It is. laughs> all right. Take care. You too. Okay. It was fun having Iona back on the show again. It's great that she's been documenting her tango adventures for so long, then thought to create a blog, and now she has a book that's meant to help tango dancers. In her book, there's a lot that tango dancers will no doubt be able to identify with and plenty of material that will spark lively discussion. During the latter half of our conversation, I appreciated Iona's thoughts about tango in Buenos Aires at this particular moment and how a city's changing social fabric can really affect tango scenes. Now, the energy of any tango community anywhere is subject to change due largely in part to factors outside our control. So teachers and organizers will always have a challenging task of keeping up. So thank you again, Iona, for sharing your thoughts on this show a second time and for taking the effort to create a book for the benefit of tango dancers. And thanks for reading us some excerpts, too. Again, the book is called Our Tango World, Volume 1, Learning and Community. If you are in the United States, you can order a copy at Amazon.com. And if you're located outside the U.S., you can buy the book at Milonga Press. Links will be in the show notes. And that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.